Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 72 disciples to prepare the way before him. Jesus, the Son of God, sends out his workers to work in his kingdom. Are you a worker for Jesus today, or are you only a Christian? All workers are Christians, but few Christians are workers for Jesus. Let's open our Bible now to Luke chapter 10 and look at this incredible privilege we have to be workers for Jesus in the kingdom of God. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and as always, hopefully y'all loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him. Um, we say it over and over and over, right? There's nothing in our lives more edifying or more beneficial than spending time with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And we do that in many ways. We do it in prayer. We do it in thanksgiving, just spending time thanking your heavenly father and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit for just all their blessings in your life and all that they've done and continue to do. You spend time in, in worship and praise. You spend time in fellowship and community um, with other Christians. But the main way, the number one way we spend time growing to know Jesus is spending time in his words, spending time in the Bible, right? Just spending time reading and studying and meditating on the scriptures and above all, growing to obey the scriptures, um, growing to obey Jesus and, and growing to repent where we fall short, right? All right. Um, still looking for direction as to where the Lord is going. So we're going to move to Luke 10 now. Um, we've done Luke chapters, uh, what, 6, 7, 8, 9, and now this will be Luke chapter 10. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for our Bible, Father. We thank you that our Bible is a holy Bible. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for just the word of God to feed our spirit and our soul. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect life for us. We thank you for dying a perfect death for us, and we thank you that you are alive and risen today, and we worship you today, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Open our hearts to the word of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, Luke 10, and I'll probably read to verses 20 or 21. <clears throat> After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. And do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. 
Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near you. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at, that, at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Just, just, just strong stuff here. All right. Verse one. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. This is interesting, okay, because we, you know, we know the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, and that's really the, the Gospels has almost an entire focus on them, right, and what where they went with the Lord. But here we find that there was apparently a much larger group of devout disciples of Jesus that were following him following him, you know, consistently and daily. You'll remember in, uh, you remember in Acts chapter one, when they're replacing Judas, um, you know, they say that we need to select a man who's been with us the entire time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Um, and, you know, I believe they select Matthias and, Barsabbas, right? Um, and the lot falls to Matthias. But but before they even cast lots, it had to be a devout disciple of Jesus that, that was with the apostles the entire time that they were with Jesus, okay? And so here we see that now there are 72. We see that there's a, a, larger, a larger group, right? So, you know, we can see here a a method of ministry, right? In the in the last chapter, Jesus took three disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he and he went up on a on a mountain with them. So he had this intimate group, this this three guys, right? And then he has the twelve, right, which is a bigger group where he's ministering to. And now we have even a bigger group here of seventy two, that you know that he is he's given power to and authority to. Um, and then in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that he appeared to over 500 at the same time. So as, as ministers of Jesus, 
you know, and as Christians, we ought to emulate this. We ought to have, you know, different groups for different things, right? We ought to have a, an inner circle of brothers and, you know, sisters that we're very, very close with. Um, and then we have other brothers where Jesus has the 12, where we're still extremely close and we have close relationships. But then as you can see, not here he has 72. And it says he sends them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he's about to go. So the two by two makes sense that they would be there together to encourage one another, to build one another up, you know, to, you know, to, uh, you know, and to, to be there for one another, to have one another's back. Um, you know, when we're out ministering, if you're ever out ministering and you're with a brother or sister in Christ, there's, you know, there's power in it, right? The scripture says that, that one can put, you know, a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. So there's a power in unity. And he says that he sent them ahead of him to every town and place where he was going to go. So it's interesting. These 72 are sent out, you know, deliberately to all the places that Jesus would follow. So they're preparing the ground for Jesus to come in and minister and speak to the people. Okay. Verse two, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is a uh, this is a serious verse here, right, Esther? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There are, there are not a lot of workers doing the true work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a difference between a Christian and a worker, Okay. All workers are Christians, right, Peyton? But but very few Christians are actually working in the kingdom of God. And this is this is not just a job for the, the quote professional minister, right? All of us are called to be workers in the kingdom of God. But look what Jesus says here. The harvest is plentiful, meaning meaning there are there are masses, right? Maybe even billions of people now. That the Lord is looking for a harvest to come to know Jesus and walk with Jesus, be saved from their sin, delivered from eternal hell, and grow as disciples of Jesus. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You know, it's his own words. There are not many people doing the work of the kingdom of God, right? Going to church is not doing the work of the kingdom of God. Preaching on Sunday is certainly doing a work. What I'm doing here is certainly work in the kingdom of God. But that ought to be the, the smaller part of what we do as pastors. What we do when we speak publicly, when we're teaching publicly, ought to be uh, that ought not to be the main of our work. We ought to be working day in and day out in the kingdom of God. So ask yourself, are you just a Christian or are you a worker for Jesus, mate? Are you working in the advancement of the kingdom of God? Are you, are you using your time, your talents, and your money to serve Jesus? Because Jesus says that there's, there's a huge harvest awaiting, but the workers are few. And that's an exhortation to those of us who are workers that, you know, that our work is important. There's not a lot of people doing it. And so, you know, those of us who are workers, we need to be serious about the work we're doing in the kingdom of God. And so really it's a place of uh, self-examination and, <clears throat> and repentance, right, Jason? All of us need to do a better job at this. And if you would look and say, you know, I'm really hardly working at all. Well, 
Well, you know, begin to do a little bit more today, right? Begin to look to see where you can be a blessing in the name of Jesus. Encourage someone in the name of Jesus. Give a tract to someone, a gospel tract, or leave a tract somewhere. You can go to the website, kingdomd.org, and we have the gospel tracts there under Bible study tools, I think is where they are. Um, and, you know, they're all free. Um, you just print it. And again, when you print a gospel track, you're actually getting the word of God out into society that would not have been there. And that, that is what a worker does. Okay. Um, and then he, and he tells us, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We need to have, we need to have a, as workers, we need to be in prayer. Okay. We, as, as workers for Jesus, we need to consistently be in prayer about the harvest and we need to be, be in prayer that the Lord would raise up more people to do the work of the gospel, okay? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field and ask him to send you, right? Lord Jesus, I ask you to send us and to, to raise up workers, Lord, um, to bring in the harvest of souls, Lord. We just, we ask you, Lord Jesus, to raise up workers in the name of Jesus and to and to send them out and help us, Holy Spirit, to, to be more diligent workers in your kingdom. Uh, none of this work saves us. None of this work, you know, gets us to heaven. We say this over and over and over, you know, uh, only Christ, only trusting and relying in Jesus alone, only having your full faith and confidence in what Jesus has done for you at the cross on your behalf and in your place will save you from your sin, deliver you from eternal hell and bring you to heaven when you die, all right? Only receiving Christ. John 1.12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you genuinely received Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior, Hunter? Or, you know, would you say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't know that I'm trusting and relying on Jesus. I don't know that I have my full confidence in Jesus. I don't know that I'm clinging to Jesus, if you're not sure today, right? If you would say, I'm not sure, just humble yourself before him now and, and call out to him in prayer, right? Just humble yourself before Jesus and pray, Lord Jesus, I, I confess, I know I'm a sinful person, Lord. And Lord Jesus, I know I cannot save myself, Lord. I'm hopeless. Lord, I'm helpless. I'm desperate. But Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. And I do believe that you came into this world and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me. And I believe, Lord Jesus, you are alive and risen. And I ask you now, therefore, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart. And I ask you to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you receive Christ, right? Now, again, it's not the words that save us. It's, it's important we understand that it's not just by puppeting words that we're saved. It's, it's the genuineness, the sincerity of our heart, right? It's in, the, it's in the humility of acknowledging our hopeless desperation without Jesus and then humbling ourselves and receiving him as our Lord and Savior. And the promise of John 1.12 is, is plain. To all who received him. Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So again, if you're not sure, back up to tape, humble yourself before Jesus and sincerely receive him as your Lord and Savior. All right, verse three, go 
I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, this is, you know, as as believers, we're not supposed to be wolves, right? And again, all of us uh, are sinful. All of us make mistakes. But we ought to have a lifestyle of, of being lambs. We ought to have a lifestyle of being of being humble, of being loving, right? Of not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, right? Um, but with blessing. And again, this is hard, right? But Jesus says, I'm sending you out like lambs. As Christians, the vast majority of us still, and I, let, let me scratch that, all of us, okay? Any Christian in the world today still has aspects of pride, right? Still has aspects where, you know, where we get, you know, where we feel like, you know, you know, you know, we don't deserve this or like, you know, we're, we're better than others. And, you know, we all struggle with these different things at different levels, depending on where we are in our walk with Christ. Um, but Jesus says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Okay. Um, you know, when I look at my own life, I can, I can consistently see areas that are, that are not as a, as Jesus would have it to be. It's not as a lamb. Now, again, a lamb isn't a pushover. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about someone who, again, is, is loving and humble and Christ-like and growing to put down their pride, does not get angry at, at every slight given to them, does not, you know, get furious. And again, it's very few Christians are like this. And certainly I, you know, this is an area of work for me. But, you know, the, the world is a, is a place of wolves, right? Where, you know, they, they often don't want to hear us as Christians, they don't want to hear the truth of the gospel. We need to continue to be patient and respond in love, right? Verse four, do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. This is interesting. So again, he don't take a purse or bag or sandals. You know, uh, he wants them to learn to trust, to trust God for, you know, for their daily necessities, right? And that's something, you know, uh, for most of us, it's very hard to trust the Lord. I wouldn't like this. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals. Wow. You know, um, you know, I'm just supposed to rely on Jesus to provide. Right. And this is interesting. And do not greet anyone on the road. Right? What does he mean by that? Do not greet anyone on the road, Benny. All right. Um, as Christians, and this is epidemic in the church today. Um, he's telling them, you know, you're not going out to socialize, okay? Um, you're going out to advance the kingdom of God. So don't get in just a lot of useless socialization, okay? Now listen, obviously there's there's nothing wrong, right, with 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 being hospitable and you know in our conversation and and greeting people and saying how are you. But this is serious. Don't greet anyone on the road. He is saying don't have idle conversation. Okay. As Christians, I mean, I don't even, I, I hate to even put a percentage on it. 98% of our, of our conversation is idle conversation that has no use in the kingdom of God. Right. And, and again, it's not that it's sinful to, you know, just to have, you know, courteous, loving, thoughtful, you know, um, inquisitive conversation and to ask someone how they're doing. But our conversation ought to increasingly be about the son of God and the kingdom of God, right? So he tells them, do not greet anyone on the road. I don't want you, I don't want you focused on idle conversation. All right, verse five. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. Six, 
If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. So he expects them to go to a house where there, there, are, there is, a, there is a, a, a man or a couple or a family that has a heart for Christ. Okay, When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. So again, um, he wants them to stay you know, with, with people who welcome them, people who are hospitable, people who, who desire to be hospitable for the work of Christ, right? And that ought to be us, right? It is the, it is the believer's job, okay, to support the work of the ministry, to host the work of the ministry, to give to the work of the ministry, right? Um, you know, and we ought to be among men and women of peace, right? Again, we will certainly serve people who are hospital to the gospel, right? But we ought not impose on them, right? Here, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. So again, there is a blessing being a man of peace. And again, a man or a woman of peace is someone who, again, has first has peace with God in Jesus Christ, right? Their sins are forgiven. When, 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 when we are not in Christ, we are literally at war with the triune God. That's an obvious tenuous position. And if we remain in that state until our death, only eternal hell awaits. Okay. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, verse seven, eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Now, again, this is a very plain statement. Apparently, doing the work of the ministry, right? And when, you know, when ministers are paid for it, it's not charity, okay? It's work. Look what he says. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. So, whoever the people are in your life that are working, right? And, and helping you to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, teaching you the word of God, holding you accountable, spending time with you, giving them their, giving you their time, you know, you need to give, you know, and support them. Jesus says, for the worker deserves his wages, okay? Given to, given to people who are doing the work of the gospel, those who are, who are, uh, who are taking charge over your spiritual growth and helping you be disciples of Christ. And not just on Sunday morning, right? And in whatever church you're in, the, the leaders of that church ought to be consistently in your lives and, and watching over your growth in Christ. You cannot watch over someone's growth in Christ and you certainly can't disciple anyone from a pulpit, okay? Obviously, this is an important part of the Christian walk, but you do not make disciples from a pulpit, okay? It's, it's ridiculous, okay? Um, uh, discipleship happens in the way it happened with Jesus, right? You see, he had 12 guys and he also had 72 guys and he spent time with them, right? And this is where discipleship happens. Now, uh, discipleship happens. Obviously, teaching the word of God is important. That's what we're doing here, right? And again, this is an element of being discipled. But it's not charity when we give to those who are doing the work. And, I, and I've always said you want to look for people who are doing the work of the gospel. You want to give to ministries and ministers who are actually consistently doing the work. Okay. If all you're getting um, from your church 
is what you hear on Sunday morning. That's 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 not doing the work of the gospel. That is an element of the work, but there ought to be people who are in your life, you know, discipling you and you know, you ought to be plugged into all that. You ought to have a relationship with your leaders, okay? Very few Christians have any relationship at all with their leaders. And oftentimes they'll have relationship with life group leaders and all that, and certainly that's good. But if you're in a church and you're serious about your walk with Jesus, your leaders ought to know who you are, okay? It doesn't even matter. It could be a 10,000 member church. If you're serious about your walk, go spend some time. Sit down with your pastors, right? And talk to them and, you know, they ought to be pouring into your life and you ought to be encouraging them, right? Stay in that house eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house, okay? So he doesn't want them distracted moving around from house to house to house, looking for a better house, you know, looking for better food, right? Uh, Jesse made a point yesterday that, you know, it might be tempting if you stop at a house and it's just kind of a, a modest house and all of a sudden you see a, a big house over there, it might be tempting to say, you know, well, let me go see if I can find some peace in that house, okay? So be content, right? When you find a, a household of peace and someone that welcomes you, eat whatever's put before you. Um, do not move around from house to house, okay? He wants them focused on the work of Christ, okay? He doesn't want them focused on looking looking for food and drink and, you know, and just seeing where they can get the best accommodations. Verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you, okay? When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Again, if people don't welcome, don't impose don't impose on them, right? Um, when you're welcomed, eat what is set before you. Verse 9, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Okay, so heal the sick. Jesus had empowered them to heal the sick. And it's interesting. You know, it, it's it's a it's a you know, it's a it's an exhortation to heal anyone who is sick. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you, heal the sick who are there. Okay? So any that you find sick, heal them. That's what it says. Okay? Obviously, this was a, uh, an empowerment given to them by Jesus. Because we are such a fractured church today, because we, you know, we have, as I've said, over 1,100 denominations in Christ Try to imagine that, right? You can you can think of Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian or Lutheran or Mormon or Jehovah's Witness. These are all different denominations of Christ, okay? There are over 1,100 of these. So we have almost no unity in the body of Christ. We're not on the same page. And I believe that's why we don't see the power of God in the same way. Because again, God is not mocked. We can't get along as a church and therefore, the Lord hasn't empowered us in the same way that he had his disciples here and in the early church. I do not believe that the Lord has changed. OK, I don't believe that the Lord changed his mind and said, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't believe he's the problem. I firmly believe we're the problem. And, you know, for some reason, that's hard for certain Christians and certain ministers to accept. OK, um, it's, it's hard for us to see that we are the problem. I am the problem. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's me that, that that's struggling, right? We can see what, what the, where the power of God moved in the early church, right? When they were in unity, when they were on the same page, when they were in one accord, I mean, the, the miracles were overwhelming. There's a doctrine called uh, cessationism that, that, that states, it says this nowhere in the Bible, not even remotely, 
Okay, there are scriptures that people like, they try to pull out that and try to make it fit this doctrine, but nowhere does it say that that God is changed when it comes to, to giving the power of healing. Now, as I said, I certainly haven't seen this. We don't see this, okay? And, and it is not, I don't see it in operation right now, but as I said, it's not because he, he's changed, it's because we are, are so, you know, disunified, right? Um, but cessationism says that, you know, since the completion of the Bible, since we have the 66 books of the Bible, it's not necessary anymore for these kind of healing gifts. But it certainly doesn't say that in the Bible. OK, so, you know, wherever we come up with this doctrine, it's extra biblical and it just ought to be repented over. It shouldn't be hard for us to say, you know, no, we certainly do not see healings like this. We don't see people walking into a hospital and healing everybody in there. It's just a fact. OK, so, you know, it seems there are delusions on both sides. But but at the same time, um, it doesn't say anywhere in the scriptures that God has stopped doing this. It doesn't say that he's, you know, he doesn't do this anymore. And so, again, the most reasonable conclusion is it's not that he has changed because, right, Peyton, Hebrews 13, 8 said that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's it's we that are the problem. And again, I do believe that if if the church came into a, a time of genuine repentance and where we we, we got on the same page and we weren't so disunified and just consistently just tearing each other up. Again, we do need to have sound doctrine and sound Bible teaching. That's why we do what we do. Anyway, if I believe if we got back to a place of that, that we would see the Lord empowering his people like this again. Um, and and it, it, would be, it would be a miracle, right, to see that happen. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you again. What does that mean? The kingdom of God is near you. Jesus is coming up behind us. Okay. Jesus is coming behind us. And where Jesus is, the kingdom of God is near you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Again, Jesus Christ is at the door. You know, in Jesus is where the kingdom of God. If, if, if you're not in Jesus, the kingdom of God is not near you. Okay. Um, it can be all around you. But it's certainly you're not going to experience the kingdom of God in an intimate way. It's not going to be near you in an intimate way. And he gets heavy here. Verse 10. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed. Where they reject you, where they say, yeah, we don't want to hear nothing about Jesus. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, verse 11, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near you. Verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Wow. Again, so to reject Jesus Christ it is a serious deal, okay? His instructions are, you know, when you're not welcomed, he wants them to publicly, verse 11, Go into the streets and say, verse 10, verse 11, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. So again, the rejection of Christ is, is, is something that's, that's a serious deal. And Jesus, Jesus wants the people to understand that it's, it's, it's not to be taken lightly. Okay? He says, and then he tells them to say, yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near you. So you can reject Jesus, but... 
but the kingdom of God is near you in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, if you reject him, he's not going to be near you in an intimate way. You're not going to know him and walk with him. But Jesus is, in Jesus, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is not here when Jesus is not here. So if you don't have Jesus and you have Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius or you're agnostic or you're atheist or any of the new age things, you know, the kingdom of God is not near you. The kingdom of God is in Jesus and is ruled by Jesus. Jesus is the ruler of heaven and earth. Okay. Right. Remember Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Okay. Try to think of the statement, right? No one talks like this. Obviously Jesus is God. After his resurrection, he tells his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We don't really know who we're dealing with, Scott, in Jesus, right? All right. And look what he says in verse 12. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And you remember how, just how wicked and sinful Sodom and Gomorrah were. Sodom and Gomorrah, they, they tried to have sexual relations with angels, right? It, it was so, they were so base and so sinful. Yet Jesus says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom. Now, it's an interesting statement. It will be more bearable. Look at this. This is a profound thing here. So the people in Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed and undoubtedly they went, they're, they're, they're in hell. Okay, but he says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So we can see that not everyone has the same punishment in hell. Not everyone has the same difficulty in hell and not everyone has the same reward in heaven. Right. We, you know, Second Corinthians 510, we we all must go before the judgment seat of Christ to get the reward for how we lived our life for Christ, for how we worked for Christ, right? We don't get to heaven by anything we've done, right, Wendy? But we will certainly be rewarded. Our reward in heaven will be based on how we used our time, talents, and treasures, and money in the advancement of Jesus and his kingdom. Verse 13, he's going to continue. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Verse 14, but, but it will be more bearable, bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. Right, so you see that. It will be more bearable. Again, so these were cities of, of, of notorious wickedness. And yet in the rejection of Christ, it's going to be more bearable, meaning to outright reject Christ is going to mean a more miserable eternity in hell for you than those who just lived an indifferent and wicked life, right? Now, again, to be in hell is going to be miserable, period, okay? This should not give anyone comfort about hell. It's an eternity separated from God in torment, okay? But, but he says that even these places would have repented. And look what he says in verse 15, and you, Capernaum, Will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. Capernaum was the home base of Jesus. For you know, when the you know when Jesus and his family moved from Nazareth 
around the time of his ministry. He ministered from the time he was around 30 to 33 and a half, and he lived in Capernaum. And, and, and he did, you know, there, there, were, there were miracles done. There were, you know, uh, the Savior lived there, and yet they rejected him, right? And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. So again, this is, this is heavy. Obviously, the point here is to reject Christ, to reject the message of the gospel, to reject a minister that's, that's earnestly trying to, to bring you to Christ. The consequences are, are unbearable. Have mercy, Lord Jesus. Have mercy, Lord Jesus. Verse 16, he who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This is interesting because we were saying yesterday at Bible study that it's very hard for us as Christians. Again, when we're rejected, um, we take it personally. People aren't rejecting us. They're actually rejecting Christ. People aren't insulting us. They're insulting Christ. Now, certainly the people that are doing that wouldn't say that. They would make an excuse and say, no, we're, we're not rejecting Jesus. We're rejecting you. And, and, but that's not what he says here. These are Jesus's words. Verse 16, he who listens to you listens to me. If you're earnestly working in the kingdom of God and earnestly looking to advance the gospel of God and the son of God, um, you know, when, when someone is listening to you, they're listening to Christ. And when someone rejects you, they're rejecting Christ. Now, this is obviously only true when you're doing this in sincerity. Okay, if you're doing it with some impure motives or you're doing it in the, you know, in an ungodly or unchrist like way, then that's a different story. But when you're going out as a genuine worker for Jesus, he who listens to you listens to me. Right. You're there serving on Christ's behalf. He who rejects you rejects me when you're rejected and mistreated. They're, they're mistreating Jesus. And then he says, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me to reject Jesus is to reject God the father. There is no salvation. There is no relationship. There is no knowing of God in any way without Christ. He who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Okay. There, there is no knowing of God. There is no salvation. These are Jesus's own words. They're not ambiguous. John 14, 6, out of his own mouth, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Right. It's not ambiguous. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only in Jesus Christ that we can know God in any way. It's only in Jesus Christ we, we can be forgiven of our sins. It's only in Jesus Christ we can avoid eternal hell. And it's only in Jesus Christ that we'll go to heaven when we die. Wow. Mm. Golly. Verse 17. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. This is interesting because he didn't talk to them. You know, he didn't, he didn't speak to them about driving out demons. He did say, heal the sick, but they had power here to drive out demons. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Okay. And certainly the demons are still here in the world today, but demons only submit to Christ. In ourselves, we have no power over demons. It's foolish to entertain it. In boldness, when dealing with demonic forces, it's always in the name of Jesus. 
in the merit of Jesus, in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. The power is in Jesus Christ and in the name of Jesus. So again, when you're dealing with demonic forces, okay, you drive them out only in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus, right? Uh, you know, ungodly spirit, you have no place here. In Jesus' name, be gone. My Lord Jesus, rebuke you. In Jesus' name, you have no place here. You continue, you know, you continue to, to put forward the name of Jesus. That's where the power is. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Um, it's wonderful. They came back full of joy in ministry. And ministry ought to, oftentimes ministry can be a beating. Oftentimes working in Christ, I confess, can be can be hard. Um, but it says they returned with joy. There, there ought to be, if, if you're a worker in the kingdom of God, there ought to be a joy in your work, right? Um, although there are times it's very hard and very difficult, there are times, and, and more often than not, the times are a joy when you see people, you know, give their lives to Jesus and repent of ungodly ways and, and begin to walk with Jesus more intimately and begin to know him and begin to grow in Christ. The 72 returned with joy. Verse 18, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Listen to this. Look at his, look at it. Listen to his words. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Okay, this was before the earth, you know, this was, you know, before there were even people on the earth, right? And so when he says, I saw Satan fall, we shouldn't, you know, we get a picture of our mind like, like Satan, like, like falling through space out of heaven, physically down to earth. That's, that's not what he's talking about here. When he says, you know, I, he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. They're rejoicing that the demons submit in Jesus name, but you know, Jesus witnessed the, the rebuke and dismissal of Satan from heaven in an instant. So when he says like lightning in an instant, you know, when, when Satan, when Lucifer, you know, wanted to be worshiped like God, you know, he was dismissed, right? Now there are scriptures in the Bible like Job uh, and in Job chapter one and two, it does show us that, uh, you know, that, that Satan still has, has certain access to heaven, right? Um, so he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Okay, this does not mean that we go out and just start stepping on scorpions' heads and looking to put ourselves in harm's way, okay? That's not trusting God, that's testing God. So when he says here, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. He's saying the demonic forces in Christ, in Jesus, will not harm you, nor can they make any scorpion or snake or anything else harm you. Okay. Um, it doesn't mean harm doesn't come to us. Okay. Jesus may allow us to suffer. Jesus certainly may, may, may allow us to be killed and go to heaven. Okay. But in Christ, if you're in Christ today, it, nothing happens except on the terms of Jesus. 
Okay. Again, Jesus may allow us to be bitten. Obviously, people, Christians have been bitten by, by snakes and scorpions and, you know, they have been harmed physically. Okay. But that comes at the permission of Jesus. If you're a Christian, I have given you authority. So again, it doesn't mean you go out and look to start messing around with snakes and, you know, and then you quote Luke 10, 19, that says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you again. It doesn't mean you go out and start testing God and then throw in Luke 10, 19, but to know that if you're in Christ, we trust Jesus and he is trustworthy. Right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. All right. So, again, uh, we shouldn't be rejoicing in the gifts that we've been given. We shouldn't be rejoicing in our talents. You know, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Jesus has given us power and gifts and they had been given power and gifts to, to command spirits, right, in the name of Jesus. But don't rejoice in the fact of all that you're doing for Jesus, okay? We certainly should have joy, and he's not taking that from him. We should be excited about the work of the ministry. But ultimately, our excitement ought to be that our names are written in heaven, that our Savior has died for us, that he's given his life for us, and that... Uh, and that in Christ we'll spend eternity in heaven. And that ought to be the joy of our lives. Again, he's not saying don't take joy in the work of the ministry. But our greatest joy ought, ought not to be what we do for Jesus, but what he's done for us. And I will go through 22 here. Um, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. This is an interesting verse, Luke 10, 21. Because he says that, uh, it says at that time, Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say this anywhere in the other, anywhere else in the Gospels. Um, in the other translation, it says Jesus rejoiced. It doesn't say this anywhere else but here. Okay. But, but look at Jesus's joy, y'all. Look at his joy. He's full of joy over not himself, but he's full of joy over the work and over, over what his disciples are doing. Okay, Jesus takes joy in you when you're doing the work of the kingdom of God. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. When he says the wise and learned here, he's not saying that if you have a, a high intelligence, or if you have if you have genuine wisdom, or if you're a learned man and woman, he's not saying that these are hidden from you just because you're an intelligent, learned, learned person. But when 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 you when you fancy yourself intelligent, when you when you believe yourself to have figured it out. When you believe yourself that, that you know more than the Bible, then the message is, is hidden from you, okay? It's in having the heart of a child, the understanding of a child. It's having the faith of a child and believing Jesus for what he says 
that that it it will be revealed to you who Jesus really is and the life you have in Jesus, the salvation you have in Jesus, the ultimate going to heaven you have in Jesus, the relationship you have in Jesus. And Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Again, if you have an attitude that you have it figured out and, and you believe things contrary to what Jesus is saying and what the Bible is saying, you know, it's hidden from you because of your pride and your obstinance. And again, all of us have areas where we need to to grow in humility. But just repent for any of these areas where you you, you believe you have more wisdom and learning and understanding of the Bible and of what Jesus is saying. Because it's not until we have the attitude in the face of a little child. As a parent, when you tell your five-year-old or six-year-old to do something, he believes you. When you tell him something's true, he believes you, right? He or she. Verse 22, all things have been committed to me by my father. Look at that verse, and we're going to end here. All things have been committed to me by my father. Okay? Jesus is the boss of everything. Okay? No one knows who the son is except the father. And no one knows who the father is except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. You cannot know God unless in and through Jesus Christ, and by the choice of Jesus saving you, you come to know God the Father. These are his own words, okay? Obviously, Jesus is God. Again, we have a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One being, three separate distinct persons, okay? They're all God, and in Jesus, we have relationship with all of them. All things have been committed to be by my father. Jesus said, everything in heaven and earth is committed to him. He's the boss of everything. No one knows who the son is except the father. And no one knows who the father is except the son. And those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So if you know Jesus today, you know God the father. You know God. If you don't know Jesus You don't know him and you want to humble yourself and receive Jesus Christ. As John 1, 12 said that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for these scriptures in Luke. We thank you, Lord, for our Bible. We thank you for feeding us in these scriptures, Father. Father, we just thank you for your mercy on our lives. Father, we ask you to forgive us, Lord. Forgive us our lack of unity and forgive us where we, because of that, we lack power. Father, I uh, I ask you to help us to be workers. And we do pray, Lord, that you would, you, you would help us, Lord, to be diligent in our work from you and that our conversations just wouldn't be idle. And Father, I do pray that you would raise up other believers, other Christians would be convicted today to go and do the work and using their time, talents, and money in the advancement of the kingdom of God and the gospel of God and the Son of God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you take joy over us when we're walking with you, that you take joy when we're able to serve you and know you and walk with you. And Father, I ask you to forgive us where we, where we have had this heart, like we know what we're doing or we have it figured out, Lord. Help us to have the humility of a child, Father, that you might reveal yourself to us in deeper measure. Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.